going to read the first ten verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. Lord God in heaven, we, we thank you again for this opportunity to study your word and this particular topic as we consider uh, saving faith and uh, just the wonderful, glorious gift that it is for us that you've granted uh, to those who are dead in sins and trespasses. And yet, through Christ, you have poured out your great love and mercy upon us. And so we just pray that you would be with us and that you would bless uh, your word to us this evening. And that it would truly minister to our hearts and encourage us and draw us closer to yourself. We pray these things and pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, in our study of confessional themes, based on the subject chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we we come this evening to chapter 14, the chapter on saving faith. But as we do so, I want to actually begin by first reading a quote from the Reformed Presbyterian Testimony, chapter 14, paragraph 1. Uh, because as we consider this topic of saving faith, it's important that we understand this point that is expressed by the testimony right from the start. And so here's this quote from the testimony. Saving faith is the gift of the triune God. It is the Father's will that the elect should be united to Christ by faith. The Son, by His death, provided that saving faith should be freely granted to them. The Holy Spirit, therefore, regenerates each one of them, enabling them to receive Jesus Christ by faith as their Lord and Savior. And we see here first that saving faith is really a glorious gift. And this is what Paul expresses here in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, 
in the wider context of this passage, Paul is, is speaking of the fact that overall, our salvation is a gracious gift from God. That is, it's not something that we have accomplished on our own or uh, have earned. It's a gift of God's grace because we were dead in our sins and transgressions, and those who are dead can't do any good thing, uh, let alone uh, achieve their own salvation. But specifically here in verses 8 and 9, Paul is emphasizing the fact that even the parts of salvation are gifts of God's amazing grace. And so look at what Paul says here. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And so the question arises, what exactly is the gift? What do that word that and it refer to? Well, simple grammar would tell us that we must go to the first noun antecedent uh, to these, uh, which would be the word faith. That even faith itself is the very gift of God. Though it's true that salvation is in its entirety a gift of God, the noun salvation isn't mentioned in these verses, and so that and it can refer to salvation. Faith is God's good gift. And that's what Paul is emphasizing here. And since we're unable to believe and exercise faith because we're dead in our sins and trespasses, we're unable to do any uh, good thing, we must be enabled by God even to believe, even to express that faith. We're enabled to do this once we've been regenerated or brought back to life through the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course then, once alive, we only then can we exercise faith in Christ. Thus faith itself is a free gift of God's grace. But secondly, this statement from the testimony, we see that that each person of the Trinity has a role in our saving faith. It's the will of God the Father. That those whom he chose before the foundation of the world should at a specific point in time believe and exercise faith uh, in him for salvation. Jesus Christ, the Son, is the one who makes saving faith possible by his once for all uh, sacrifice for sins, which paid the penalty for our sins and uh, opened this pathway to God, bringing peace and reconciliation with God. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who then applies these truths to us when he makes us alive, even raising us from the deadness of our sins and enabling us to believe in Christ alone for salvation. And so again, salvation and even faith itself is a wonderful gift of the triune God. Well, how is this gift administered? That is, by what means do we receive it? Well, as Ephesians 2 noted, we're saved by grace through faith. And so God's grace is actually the active agent in salvation, and faith is the means by which that grace then comes to us. And again, it's a means God himself has provided Now, faith is defined by the confession as the elect being enabled to believe to the saving of their souls by the Holy Spirit. So how do we receive this faith? Or 
what are the means or channels by which faith comes to us, even as faith itself is the means by which we receive God's grace. The means of the means of grace, so to speak. Well, faith comes to us primarily and chiefly through the reading and the preaching of God's Word. We see this in Romans 10, verse 14 and 17. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Then in verse 17, Paul says, So then faith comes by hearing, and the hearing by the Word of God. So we need to hear the Word of God proclaimed, read, in order to have that faith communicated to us. Note that this is the ordinary means by which one comes to faith. There are certainly extraordinary means that are possible. Uh, We saw this when we discussed the effectual call of God. God can use extraordinary means to call and save sinners to Himself, uh, as He would so choose. But the ordinary way that we see revealed in Scripture is through the preaching of the Word of God. And of course, this then means for us, it gives us the great impetus for evangelism and and missions, both locally as well as going throughout uh, all the earth proclaiming the gospel. It's incumbent upon us to be diligent in order to get the word out there because people need to hear the word of God proclaimed in order for them to believe. So that those appointed salvation by God's eternal decree might actually hear and come to a saving knowledge of Him. Well, it should be noted that not only is the word essential for initial faith, that is our first coming to a faith in Christ, but it's also the word of God is also necessarily important for our continued growth in grace and faith. And we touched on this again earlier this morning regarding hearing and receiving the word. We must continually, not just once we're saved, but after we're saved, we must continually hear and receive God's Word to not only believe, but also to grow in our faith and to grow in sanctification as we considered this morning. Peter declares in 1 Peter 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. And so we go from spiritual milk to spiritual meat as we continually hear the Word of God. And of course, the longer we profess faith in Christ, we ought to grow in faith. And if we don't have a steady diet of God's Word, well, we will grow slowly if we even grow at all. So the Word of God is essential then for our continued growth in grace, but even more so for our initial saving faith. We can't be saved unless, as far as the ordinary means, we can't be saved unless it's through the proclamation of the Word of God. Again, God can do use extraordinary means, but the ordinary means is through the ministry of His Word. The Lord, though, has provided other means by which the grace of faith can come to us. Again, the reading and preaching of the Word is primary and of first importance, but the grace of faith can also come through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, both which encourage us in our faith. 
And we see this in Romans 4 verse 11, where Paul connects the sign and seal of the covenant in the Old Testament to the faith of Abraham. Paul says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And note here, Paul is making the point that it wasn't the sign which saved Abraham, but it was to Abraham a confirmation of the faith that he had and a further seal of God's covenant uh, to he and his descendants after him. And likewise, so baptism, uh, which uh, the sign of circumcision uh, looks forward to, baptism, again, would be the same th- uh, things. Baptism doesn't save, the sign doesn't save, but it confirms and uh, rather affirms uh, that faith in the promises of God. Likewise, the Lord's Supper is also a sacrament for our continued growth in grace as it calls us to reflect upon the suffering and death of Christ for our sins, His body given and His blood shed, that we might have union and communion with Him. Now, though the sacraments, again, are a nurturing grace for our faith to grow, again, they aren't a saving grace that brings faith leading to salvation. Again, so we need to be careful that we don't confuse the two. We're saved and we grow through the preaching of the Word, But the sacraments don't save us. But the sacraments are for our continued growth in grace and in faith. And so too is prayer. Prayer is also a means of grace that builds up and encourages our faith. In prayer we talk with God and grow in our dependence upon Him uh, alone in, in our lives that we might truly live by faith. Again, the ritual of prayer itself doesn't save us, but prayer does certainly strengthen us and encourages our existing faith. And so these are the means that we uh, gain faith or that we grow that faith, uh, again, leading to our, um, our salvation and the security of our salvation. Well, faith then is a gracious gift leading to salvation, but what what is the substance of that faith? That is, what is it that we must have faith in? Faith is essentially our belief in someone or something. Now, simply put, everyone, whether they acknowledge it or not, everyone has faith in something. Even those who claim to be atheists uh, or who don't practice any form of religion have faith in something. They have faith maybe in themselves. They have faith in, uh, in mankind. They have faith in, in governments. Or they may have faith in, in science as their idol gods. But everyone has faith in something. Evolutionary science, for example, requires belief and faith on behalf of its adherents. Right? There's certain things in science that you are just you accept by faith as much as they want to say this is observable but there's certain things that can't be observable they just have to be accepted and so faith cannot be avoided so what is needed for faith in Christ what is the substance of our faith well the confession goes on to note in paragraph 2 by this faith a christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word 
For the authority of God himself speaking therein and acts differently upon that which each particular passage thereof contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. So here we see it's necessary, if one professes faith in Christ, to believe in the Word of God as being true and authoritative. Now there are many who claim the name of Christ, and yet they will outright reject the authority of the Scriptures as the Word of God. Right? They deny its revelation and its power uh, that's revealed in it. They'll deny the miracles. They deny the virgin birth uh, the, or the physical bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They deny these things. Now this isn't referring to differing interpretations that the confession's addressing. Because there are many true, sincere Christians who, who can't agree on some doctrinal interpretations. But what's nuanced here in the confession is those who reject the actual authority or historicity of the Bible and simply call it a book of men. And we hear that, uh, that charge lodged even more frequently uh, these days than perhaps in ages past. Oh, it's also necessary that if one believes, he should uh, then obey the commands that set forth. So first we have to believe in the authority of the Bible, that the Bible is true, that it is the very Word of God. But also if we believe, if we confess belief in Christ, we also need to obey the commands that are set forth in the Scriptures. Again, many say they believe in Christ, but they don't desire to obey the commands. What does Jesus says? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So how can they say they believe in Christ if they, and love him if they don't obey his commandments? They want to go on living their lives the way, whatever way they wish. And in James chapter 1, and we'll look at this, uh, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, uh, this passage, uh, James chapter 1, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the law, perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And so we must not only be hearers, but doers of the word of God. But possessing true saving faith also means that we must tremble at the judgments of God, knowing that it is only by God's grace alone that we've been spared uh, from those judgments. And so we must embrace and, and cling to the promises that he's given. Again, these are necessary for true saving faith. But each of these don't stand alone. Right? They all come as a, as a package. And so we can't say that we believe the authority of God's word and yet then refuse to obey it. And we can't claim to uh, the promises of God and yet deny the seriousness of the threatenings and the judgments. We can't just say, I believe in God and be done with it. James says in James 2, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And so if we accept one of these, 
we must then accept all of them and we must be faithful to all of all of them but even though these are necessary for for true saving faith they aren't chief as the writers of the confession continue but the principle or the chief acts of saving faith are accepting receiving and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Principle here means chief or of first importance. And think of the, for example, the thief on the cross who uh, died there next to Jesus. And we know that his understanding of the depths of God's word was very, uh, very little. He had no opportunity to really obey the commands of God to live an obedient life other than the command to repent and believe in who Jesus was. And he did believe the promises Jesus gave to him. Today you will be with me in paradise. <clears throat> and that was about it. At least from what we know. But though he didn't have this full understanding of God's word, he did have the principle or essential substance of saving faith. The essential substance of saving faith is believing upon Christ alone for salvation. And we're to accept the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. We're to accept this as true. And we're to receive Him as our Lord and Savior, believing in Him and what He accomplished, not just in general, but that He accomplished these things for us personally, so that we might become children of God. And we're then to rest or trust in the covenant promises of God, which were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If one doesn't believe, have faith, or trust that Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation, well then they can't rightly claim His name and the salvation that He accomplished. And finally, we want to consider that our true saving faith is secure in Christ, and this despite our own human frailty. Paragraph 3 of chapter 14 of the Confession says this, This faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, may be often in many ways assailed and weakened. And so each individual is different. Some are weak in faith as new believers and others are more mature. In Hebrews 5, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then he goes on to talk about how they, they're they stuck in the milk phase. And they haven't moved on to the meat. And, and they're urged then to, to grow in grace. And that you, you can't remain stagnant. That you must continue to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. And we see this uh, affirmation in Abraham, Romans 4, Paul says, And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. And so here we see Abraham struggling with a weakness of faith at times. We'll also have to keep in mind that we'll undergo attacks and assaults on our faith that may, again, weaken us for a time. 
But even in the midst of those challenges and uh, trials and temptations, we trust in the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And there Paul is acknowledging the truth that though he may be weak in faith at times and though he is afflicted at times and his faith may waver because he truly believes in Christ then he will be secure. His faith is secured. Indeed, our faith is secured. And it's secured not because of anything that we have done, not because of our own perseverance, not because of our own faithfulness, but our faith is secure because of what God has done for us. Because He is the one who gave it to us. That through Christ we get the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. Indeed, though our faith may be beaten and battered at time, we do ultimately gain the victory because our faith isn't of ourselves. Our faith is a true gift of a gracious God. If Christ authored our faith, He will also complete our faith to the very end. And it will all be to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. O Lord God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for your word. We thank you for your continued blessing upon us. As we have been reminded of the gift of our salvation and the gift of grace. And how you have provided means to grow us in our faith and and to communicate that grace to us. First, initially through the proclamation of your word that we come to salvation in Christ, but then there's the continual uh, hearing and listening and receiving of your word uh, and the sacraments which are there to encourage us, to build us up, to strengthen us in our faith. And as course the great gift of prayer that you give to us that we come to you and we can communicate to you and even as we uh, fellowship and grow in our fellowship and unity to one another by speaking with one another and sharing with one another that is what we do through that wonderful gift of prayer that you've given to us and so we just praise you and thank you O lord that you have not only saved us but you provided all the means necessary that that we need And that you are the one who even strengthens us, enables us uh, to accomplish these things. And because our salvation, because our faith is all of you, then we know truly that our faith and our salvation is fully and surely secured in Jesus Christ. And no one shall pluck us out of your hand if we firmly rest in that hand. And we just thank you and thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, glorious gift. And we pray that as we go about our usual activities and duties this week, we pray that you'd be with us, that you would remind us of these great truths that we've learned on this day, and that we would be encouraged, that we would be faithful witnesses, that we would be declaring this truth, even as we've been challenged to to go forth to declare the gospel, that others 
might come to know you and believe because of the proclamation of the gospel and the word of the the ministry of the word that we share with them. We pray, Lord, that you would use us as your instruments for your glory in this way. Use our congregation uh, to further expand your kingdom. We ask for your blessing in these things. We pray, Father, now that you would watch over us and be with us and bless us as we go from this place until we return again on the next Lord's Day. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.